in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It says coming up on 3 p.m. Stay tuned now for Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, November the 23rd, 2010. That means it's turkey time. Oh, tis true, tis pity, but pity tis, tis true. Turkey time, get off the dime, stuff that bloody bird. Not me, folks, not me. I guess the human race is doing as well as it can, but I'd like to drop out. No more stuffing. For me, it's fasting and meditation. Old anarchists. <laughs> just, just, we just need a little, little substance abuse, a little, little hot toddy. Oh, the truth is, I've already eaten more than my share of this poor earth, and for that I am truly thankful. But, um, time to recycle me. Uh, if I were a compassionate soul, I'd go out and find some way to dish up for the people who need help. Uh, oh, yes, you remember Food Not Bombs and all those good people. I think I'm more likely to slip into a decadent, uh, decadent mood this year, abuse a few of the better substances. I have always the excuse, you know, everything gone to hell, and (laughs) never mind. I was going to read you pages and pages of dear Henry Kurtzberg, the political point man on the New Yorker. At the New Yorker, he has all these pieces in talk of the town in which... He explains so clearly and simply, you know, why it is uh, so many Americans are willing to vote against their best um, interests. And then I thought, well, everybody, at least KPFA listeners, knows all that. The question, of course, is, um, will it change? Maybe a little, maybe a lot. But uh, I guess... I'm reduced to uh, a bucket of mulled wine and just taking my notes. I tried to take notes on the media all week and I got so depressed. Yes, let us fly away to where the press does not depress us every day. I thought, no, no, I'll leave that to the uh, the pundits, the uh, what do we call them, those guys that just yell and yell and yell? Uh, 
Oh, golly, I guess it gets their blood pressure going, makes them feel good, but uh, the contentiousness, um, it's so depressing. I was reading something the other day, I think I, I mentioned it on the air, it was back in the day when Newt Gingrich pulled his little coup back in um, uh, 94, was it? Yes, um, similar similar uh, uh, period when the, uh, you know, Congress in the middle of one of the presidential terms, uh, the uh, Democrats took a hit. And Newt Gingrich came to the fore. He managed to shut the government down. But he he said to all the new, young, uh, fresh-faced Republicans, you know, he said, don't bring your families to Washington, D.C., you know. <laughs> it's unhealthy. Leave your family back home. Don't make a family here, because this is where we go to make war. Sad, 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 sad. Um, I figured this year I would just send little notes to the the Congress people who are on the bright side. Only only affirmations this year. Only affirmations. That wonderful woman from Illinois. Um, I've forgotten my notes on her, but she's offered up one of the best plans for how to how to pay the bills. And of course, leave it to somebody's mother. She knows what's right to do. You know, babies before. Uh, bombs, that kind of thing, but we've said it and said it and said it, and it's getting to be something of a bore, this uh, species suicide. Uh, I just want to sip something, uh, something decadent, yes, and contemplate the ultimate ambiguity of all human endeavor, those of us who are lucky enough to be able to afford to sit back and study the situation. Uh, I notice on the way down here, I heard on the radio, the Dalai Lama has decided to retire. He's my age. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't have permission to quit, I don't think. He says we should always just uh, do what's necessary, even if it's hopeless. You know, he gives you that good Zen perspective. Uh, it's the same thing. Well, Mahatma Gandhi explained it. Um, he showed everyone in the world, you know, Martin King, everybody who believes that an earth walk, their earth walk, matters. Everything matters. Even if it's ephemeral, transitory, you know, all that mutability theme the stuff about being present, about joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. I tell myself that, and then I wake up at four in the morning to figure out whether or not they've managed to dig the the miners out of the the earth over there in in uh, New Zealand. What is it? The horrors are too overwhelming for some of us. Uh, you know, it's this uh, the Gestalt prayer. Yes. Uh, Try to remember what I can do something about and um, the areas in which I'm completely helpless. Uh, I'm afraid there's nothing that people like me can do. We can try to make a joke from <laughs> from time to time. Yes. And get off the stick. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Put yourself together. Trust that turkey. Mash those spuds. Yell at those relatives. 
If you're the sort of person who gets the holiday blues, and I am one still, just check out the cosmic comedy, you know. Um, read the witty people. Uh, try to help your friends see the joke, you know. Uh, work on their sense of humor and uh, make a party out of the dysfunctional family fuss. Think how boring it would be if everyone got along, you know, and it was all hugs and generosity and, uh, you know, um, all those wonderful warm things and the great Victorian fireplace and, you know, trying to make everyone feel good and uh, taking the time to make everyone comfortable and <laughs> rots a ruck. Folks, uh, I'm looking at a cartoon in the New Yorker. I got to cut it out and blow it up and send it to my friends. Uh, it's in the uh, current current issue, November 22, November 22, New Yorker Magazine, 2010, and <laughs> it's got a got a table. It says the last Thanksgiving, and there's ten folks sitting around the table and. Each one has a bubble over their head identifying the various hang-ups. You know, the sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you some of them. The last Thanksgiving. Right. We'll start with, let's see, it's pretty much boy-girl. The oldest fella, let's see, can't have salt. Next one. Lactose intolerant. Vegetarian. Vegan. Macrobiotic, fanatic traditionalist, on a cleanse, strictly kosher, ultra picky gourmet. The last one is allergic to gluten. <laughs> yes, we have a cafeteria these days. Just, you know, just throw the stuff on the table and let people walk by and pick up their stuff. Uh, I think that the New Age nonsense is just a new interpretation of our Puritan heritage, you know? Reading some jokes last night about the way the old English socialists used to sit on the steps of the liberal club eating their granola and their oatmeal, you know, the worse it tasted, <laughs> the more virtuous they felt they were. Uh, Mm-hmm. I think I'll go to Brennan's for Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful restaurant, and the stuffing isn't bad. Uh, I do have one funny. I'm going to start with the funny because, frankly, I can't take any more uh, of the world's sorrow. I've been playing those sorrow songs. That's my trouble, yes. You know, the guy that, um, he just died, and he wrote those wonderful sorrow songs called... Oh, I cannot pronounce his last name. I'll look it up for next time. Anyway, I'm looking here in the Washington Chronicles. I'm looking at an article called The First Kitchen. And I'm going to tell you about Eleanor Roosevelt's Thanksgiving. <laughs> this article is by Laura Shapiro. And it just hit me between the eyes because it reminded me of some of my mother's friends. My mother was never... Uh, a Puritan, uh, when it came to food, she just ignored it pretty much. That's what Eleanor wanted to do. She wanted to be, um, you know, immune to the gourmet nonsense. She wanted to be above it all. 
kind of being such an aristocrat. Anyway, uh, back in 1933, I'm looking at this dinner. Good God. Luncheon at the White House. This would have been within weeks of the day on which I was conceived. <laughs> We're talking 1933. You remember when F, when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt came into office, uh, the Depression had been three years on. That's why he's or he was so much more successful politically than our present blessed um, uh president because the timing the timing is off for Obama Roosevelt's timing was perfect uh, he came in when things were at the bottom and they began to turn upwards and everybody gave him the credit you know uh, anyway here's Eleanor <laughs> I, I can't believe this uh, the main course was stuffed eggs prepared as plainly as possible by mashing five hard-cooked yolks with a teaspoon of vinegar and half a teaspoon of minced onion. A thin coat of tomato sauce covered the eggs, which were served hot, accompanied by mashed potatoes and whole wheat bread. Dessert was a small portion of pudding made chiefly from prunes, flour, and water. Festive it was not. Nevertheless, this was luncheon for six at the White House. <laughs> That's less than three weeks after Franklin Delano Roosevelt's first inauguration. Now, the president was, I'm sure most of you know, a very sophisticated uh, cosmopolitan guy, and he loved food. And one of uh, Eleanor Roosevelt's biographers uh uh, she has suggested that maybe Eleanor, maybe there was an element of revenge because Eleanor would not let him eat the good stuff. He mostly ordered a tray in his office. <laughs> the the Roosevelt marriage, there are new books about that. Uh, it's got to be one of the great stories of the 20th century. Who is that biographer? Um, Cook was her name. Uh, Cook. Right. Uh, she's the one, she's got two volumes out. Let's see, there's a third volume coming soon. They're just called Eleanor, and it's all about uh, the marriage and FDR and the fact that this woman kind of invented herself. She's the first first lady to turn the thing into a, uh, what do you call that? Uh, well, she looked for causes because her husband was... Uh, well, it wasn't his illness so much. It was the fact that he had been unfaithful to Eleanor back in 1918. It turned out he was having an affair with her social secretary, uh, Lucy Mercer. And uh, uh, actually, sad story, Lucy was with the president when he died. And uh, that little meeting had been arranged by Eleanor's daughter, which hurt her even more when she found out that... Uh, he had gone to his <laughs> his reward, his death. With Lucy there, uh, it pretty much broke her heart for life. Most of the uh, stories, let's see, there's even a, a statue. She used to visit the statue of a mourning woman. Anyway, Eleanor had a real Victorian case of uh, heartbroken, uh, what do you call that? Um, she She was trying to transcend 
all this stuff, but she was basically a, a romantic. Uh, she had a few personal relationships. Uh, Lorena Hickok, the journalist, was her number one person. Oh, and there was a bodyguard, a guy that she was uh, in love with. But nobody, nobody's been able to pin these things down, you know. Uh, there's no um, reason to believe that uh, they were totally intimate, but I don't think we need to worry about that sort of thing anymore. We know that she had friends and they kept her going. She had a cottage, uh, let's see, at Hyde Park. Yeah, each one of them, Franklin and Eleanor, they built little cottages for themselves where they could entertain their friends and have their own individual parties. Uh, kind of like Mary Wollstonecraft, the great feminist back in the 18th century. Uh, <laughs> anyway, these meals um, are fascinating. As I said, the president, FDR, always asked for a tray in his office. Uh, and uh, he apparently, uh, he didn't complain so much. Once in a while, he would send out for something, uh, trying to get some he said white asparagus that that was impossible uh there was a woman who came to work for eleanor uh she was a lady who was actually the film critic for the new yorker magazine the first film critic they had uh, uh her name was sheila hibben h i b b e n she was not a success at the white house because she thought that food should give pleasure and that we well, that the president and his guests should enjoy their food, you know. Uh, so, uh, she visited the kitchens and advised the staff and all that sort of thing. Uh, she said it was okay to have homey dishes like stewed crabs and Johnny Cake and chicory salad and, uh, you know, all those recipes that go back to Washington and Jefferson. Be historic, she said. She believed that honest fare would help people make their way through the hard times. Uh, she counseled the first lady, quote, crisis or no crisis, the tension of the country is better for preoccupation with the art of cooking. <laughs> that was not, that was not for Eleanor, and it was uh, at least a generation until, um, uh, Julia Childs came along, but that's another story. Uh, what I love are the the number of low-cost prune puddings. Um, yes, there were a few puddings that Thomas Jefferson liked. Apparently, those weren't too bad, gooseberries. Uh, now, Eleanor didn't just choose the cuisine. She was defining her role. She wanted to set a moral example, you know. Uh, the food had to deliver the right message. You remember Jimmy Carter's wife, dear Rosalind, she said that uh, uh, she didn't want people to come to the White House to get drunk. Uh, most of them did have that in mind. Well, Roosevelt had drinks every evening. Uh, anyway, the, um, the lady from the New Yorker departed and Eleanor asked an old friend, Somebody that, you know, she liked, somebody she could get along with, uh, to be the housekeeper. And this was the perfect, the perfect woman <laughs> for, for the, what I would call the, um, the hair shirt approach. Uh, the stuff just looks terrible. Uh, 
Let's see, what did Hemingway say about it? Uh, let's see. Intelligent housekeeping, said Eleanor. That would be the key to the future. She said, a woman who boils potatoes year after year with no thought of the how or the why, she's a drudge, she said. But the cook who can compute the calories of heat which a potato of a given weight will yield is no drudge. That's right, they called it science. Anyway, Eleanor was, of course, aware that she had always depended on servants. You know, it's so hard to get public servants these days, don't we know? Anyway, um... She was trying, you know, to represent um, woman's work uh, and be unsentimental and practice what was coming to be called home economics. She wrote a book. Her first book was It's Up to the Women. And she said, the mother of a family should look upon her housekeeping, upon the planning of meals as a scientific occupation. She she had columns everywhere. There was one called, well, there's a chapter in that book called Family Health. And ah, this is what I love. It begins with the stern advice. Do not eat too much. There we go, folks. Diets are a joke. What we all need is to be PC. And I don't mean politically correct. I mean portion control. I remember talking about this in uh, high schools. I used to ask the kids if they ever measured their food. They said, no, that wasn't wasn't any fun. But I said, just, just try it sometime. See how many cups of uh, stuffing you eat. I said, uh, I have been an overeater most of my life. And it shows. The secret, of course, is to taste your food. Don't devour it. Just taste it. You know, you don't need to stoke yourself. Anyway, uh, these recipes in the White House, uh, <laughs> I can't imagine anything this awful. There were no herbs, no spices, uh, and there certainly were no dishes that derived from the immigrant households, you know, uh, there would have been, let's see, there's a lot of low-cost cooking coming from Italy and the Irish, well, the Irish just boiled potatoes, but this, um, this depression menu, all of them, is mostly everything from stuffed eggs to, uh, well, the beans, the tomatoes, fried liver in gravy, uh, nothing to brighten that but a slice of onion, uh, there was a carrot relish made from raw carrots and a bit of diluted vinegar. <laughs> the idea was to be efficient. Uh, now, of course, the woman from the New Yorker had tried to persuade Eleanor to have food served in the White House that tasted good. Something that a talented, well-traveled cook, you know, uh, would prepare after she'd been around the world and learned all the uh, culinary secrets. Uh, anyway, Eleanor says that Americans had been spoiled. She says that uh, peaches from South Africa and strawberries picked green and shipped too far. No, no, no. Obviously, she did understand about eating locally. Uh, she wanted gas stations to distribute food maps as well as road maps. Now, there's an idea whose time has come. 
uh, actually, you can do that in your car. Uh, get one of those little maps to indicate uh, where the restaurants are and where to go to buy the best fruits and vegetables and produce. Anyway, uh, this was not competing with Paris. Let's see. Now, the best, the best decent recipe from the woman in the New Yorker. She did give Eleanor something, the ultimate in flavor. She said, uh, she, let's see, she made cold boiled crabs, shells cracked open, served with a sauce of fresh lime juice and olive oil. And they are superlatively good with beer. Okay, that's what they were eating in 1934. And the most popular dish, this is the one I remember. I have made it most years since I was a grown-up. We made a buffet dish known as Turkey Supreme. Now, for those of you who fill the refrigerator with uh, leftover turkey and you stare at that bloody bird for a week or two, you know what I'm talking about, uh, This one is diced turkey with damn near anything. You mix it with nuts, with whipped cream. Uh, Eleanor used crushed pineapple, mayonnaise. Spread it out on a tray and freeze it there. Put it in the refrigerator and eat it till Easter. Anyway, this, this article is so charming. It's written by Laura Shapiro. And it goes on. It isn't, it isn't mean or condescending. It's just that, uh, it does spell out what it was that Eleanor and Franklin were trying to do in the White House. Much like Michelle and Barack, they're trying to set an example. You know, kind of like the British royals. You're supposed to show the people, you know, uh, Michelle has planted the vegetable garden and apparently the White House folks eat out of Michelle's garden. Uh, Eleanor, I don't think, no, she just uh, sent her folks down to get the cheapest stuff in the market. Uh, Let's see. What is this one? Cape Cod clam chowder, boiled corned beef with new cabbage. You can serve English mustard with this. New potatoes in butter, cornmeal muffins made with yellow cornmeal, lettuce and tomato salad with a French dressing, cheese wafers, baked Indian pudding with vanilla ice cream coffee. Okay, that's it. That's the New England menu. This is the classic White House menu, folks. (laughs) Now, I bet you if you turn on television, they will show you what what they're eating in today's White House. Uh, Anyway, um... She was being very political. I think there's something very political about food, whether it's Michelle Obama's cucumbers, beans, and carrots, or Eleanor's, uh, well, she didn't use grits. She definitely used an awful lot of beans. Uh, Her assumption was that healthful, inexpensive food had to be plain and tasteless. She wanted to set an example because the populace was struggling. And as we know, they were really struggling. What was it? Harrodsburg wrote, he said, that uh, the reason why this recession, depression that we're in now, uh, does not feel as bad as the one that came in the 30s is because uh, you don't notice the absence of agony. 
but you do notice the presence of pain. And there is pain out there. There's pain out there. But the agony, that that's, you know, that's what we've escaped thanks to um, Barack and Michelle. Oh, dear, I've run out of time, and I had so many good things to tell you. Go see uh, Entosaki Shange's For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough, if you haven't had a chance yet. It's very stagey, and I love it. I'm going to get a copy and put it on the shelf next to Virginia Woolf's Orlando. That video of Orlando is wonderful, the one with Tilda Swinton. The History of Women over the centuries um, check out this article on Eleanor Roosevelt because it's funny and it's charming and then see if you can copy some of her cooking for your Thanksgiving <laughs> tuna salad chicken salad and chicken a la king this has been Jennifer Stone I'll be back on the air next week at the same time till then go easy and if you can't go easy go as easy as you can On Saturday, December 4th, will be a very special event to benefit the International Solidarity Movement's Tristan Anderson Fund. Tristan will be there, and his photographs, banners, and patches from his activism around the world will be on display as an art show. We'll have music with David Rovix, a presentation by Eric Drucker, and dinner will start the evening at 6 o'clock at Berkeley's Unitarian Fellowship at 1924 Cedar Street. Program follows dinner. Come support Tristan, a local activist and photojournalist critically wounded by the Israeli military during a protest against the apartheid wall in the West Bank in 2009. Info at 510-547-7486. It's wheelchair accessible. Donations at the door. That's December